Well, hey, if you have your Bibles, please open them up to Matthew chapter 20. And this morning is our last Sunday in the series we've been in called The People Who Love, where we've just been asking, what would it be like if when people looked at you and when people thought about you, they said, man, that is a person who loves. They love God. They love other people. And this morning, we want to frame a question kind of under that umbrella. And the question is this, what do I need to do to be great? I mean, that's a, that's a natural human question. It's actually even a question outside of just human beings. Anybody here own chickens? We, we do not own a chicken. However, my daughter got to babysit a chicken, as that's the way she worded it anyway, this last summer for a week. Our friends Alan and Kathy were out of town, and they asked uh, my daughter Hope if she would babysit their chicken. By the way, they named their chicken Nugget. I'm not kidding you. And so Hope got to babysit Chicken Nugget for a week, and she loved it. Uh, but Nugget is one of the lucky ones. Well, one, Nugget hasn't been eaten yet, but also Nugget lives alone. And you know that if you put chickens together, what happens? They begin to form this pecking order where they determine who is the best and who is the worst, who is the strongest, who is the weakest. And they fight and they're nasty with each other. Uh, a, a while back, uh, we were visiting my parents, and when we go there, my kids always want to walk across the street to their friends uh, who have a whole bunch of chickens. And uh, we went over there, and they showed us how they had taken this one little poor chicken and put it away from the rest of the chickens because it had been, it had all of its feathers plucked off from the others. It was the weak one, and it was starving to death because none of the others even let it have any food because it was the weak one. So they pick on it, and they have this order, this pecking order, and chickens kind of do that to each other because even the chickens want to be the greatest. They want to be like, ah, I'm great, and I'm strong, and I will stomp on anybody else in order to get on top. And then I suddenly think, oh, kind of like we do to each other sometimes as well. And what does it take to be great, to be successful in our world? Well, if it's sports, you know, you got to win, win the tournament, win the championship, whatever that might be. It's all about winning and stepping on somebody else. If they lose, if their player has an injury, who cares? Because we won, and that's what's important. In business, it's climbing the top. And if the other company goes bankrupt, well, you know, no big deal, because that means that we get to get all of their, their clients. In politics, it's winning. It's all about winning, 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 winning. And Tuesday, we will say some people were successful, and some people weren't, based on did they win or did they not. And uh, if, if there's ever an illustration of stepping on other people to get ahead, just watch the political commercials because most of the commercials aren't even about the candidate. They're about somebody else, you know, with scary music or, you know, clowns on there talking about how terrible the other candidate is and all the bad things they've done. And then we come to just, like, life in general. How is someone great? How is someone successful? Is it the same ways that we see played out so often in our world. We've been looking in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and in, uh, you don't need to turn there now, but in 3rd John, verse 9, there's this guy named Diotrephes, and, and John describes him as this, one who loves to be first. You know some people who just love to be first? I mean, it's kind of our nature. If you have a bunch of kids and you say, hey kids, there's cookies over there at the table, what do they do? They run because they love to be first, and that's part of our inclination. But even John, 
who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and talked about this guy who loved to be first understood a little bit about what it meant to want to be first. And that's where we come to Matthew chapter 20 because uh, John and his brother James had a little issue one time where they got caught up in trying to be the greatest. And that's the story we want to read today from Matthew chapter 20. We're going to begin in verse 20. So James and John uh, are the the sons of Zebedee. And so that's where we get here. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him, asked a favor of Jesus. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten, so like the ten other apostles, heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here we have James and John, and they talked their mom into going for them, or maybe the mom went for them. Anybody ever had a mom who embarrassed you with the question she asked? Uh, uh, if, if, if there's any coaches out there, I know that at some point a mom has come in to you and said, you, you really should be starting my son. And I know a lot about baseball because my boy, uh, I know that if you put him out there, he's going to get the most run point scores for you of all the other boys. And you're like, I don't even think you know what you're talking about. But sometimes moms can do that. They get a little defensive. But it becomes clear in the story that it wasn't just the mom who did this. It says the boys were with her. James and John were with her. And when I say boys, they weren't little boys. They were adult men. But Jesus listens to the mom, but when he addresses them, he addresses James and John. He's not talking to mom anymore. He's talking to the boys. And he says, "Uh, I don't think you even know what you're asking. You're saying you want this place of authority, this high position for all of eternity in my kingdom. You want this great uh, uh, place. you, You don't know what you're talking about. Can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And what he meant was, can you go through the suffering that I'm going to go through? Can, can you handle all of this? And they say, yeah, 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 we can do whatever you're going to do. He said, well, no, you're still out of line. And so the other apostles here, you know, did you hear what James and John did? They went and they asked Jesus if they could be like the two most special ones of everybody. And so they're all mad. There's all this conflict, which, by the way, anytime we're selfish, it causes conflict with everybody else, not just us. And so they're all arguing and they're upset. And Jesus calls them over and he says, hey, listen, guys, you need to redefine what it means to be great, what it means to be successful. I know the world tells you one thing. I know your, your instincts tell you one thing, but I'm telling you something different. If you want to be great, start serving. Serve other people. And so they were asking the wrong question to begin with. They were asking, how can I be the greatest? 
And Jesus saying that that isn't even the right question to be asking. Some of you may have known Ron Wright. Ron was born February 28, 1948. And Ron passed away of stomach cancer about a year ago. You may know Ron because he came here uh, quite often. Um, He would be here for a little while, and then we might not see him for a little while. But um, Ron was a pretty unique guy. Uh, Ron, by the world's standards would never have been labeled as successful and great, according to the world. But Ron's a pretty unique guy. See, Ron uh, lived here in Oklahoma. He didn't have any family here in Oklahoma. They lived uh, way out east. Uh, Ron had some struggles with homelessness in his life. Um, He had struggles with some addiction uh, back in his life. He had always struggles with poverty in his life. Ron was a shoe shiner. And Ron... Uh, found Jesus, or Jesus found Ron. And Ron gave his life to Jesus and began following Jesus. And Ron changed the way that he would begin to shine shoes. Uh, He worked downtown in three or four different of the big office buildings where lots of people would come who might need their shoes shined. And Ron would get there, and uh, he was a great salesman. I mean, good luck walking by him without stopping to have him shine your shoes because he, he knew how to get you over. Hey, man, your, your shoes have a little spot on them. Or, hey, just come have a visit with me over here. And I mean, he was, he was really good at that. So people would come and they would sit on the chair and Ron would get his stuff together. And right before he would start shining the shoes, he would say, could you do me a favor? Sure. Do you mind reading something for me? And of course, whoever's on the shoe would, or, or on the chair would say, "Sure." And then Ron would give them his Bible, and he would have places marked, and he would say, "Start here and end over here." And he would just hand it to him. <laughs> so, what's anybody going to do? They're going to start reading the Bible to him. Ron did this all day long. That's what he did with everybody who came, and people began to love Ron. And the way Ron talked about it was. Uh, at the same time he was being discipled because he was hearing scripture, he was also evangelizing because he was telling people scripture. He was letting people read scripture even for themselves. And so Ron would do this, uh, and this was his act of service and his way to honor the Lord. And when Ron would get paid, lots of times he would give his money all away before he even got home. So he had some friends that kind of began to surround him and help him a little bit um, just to make sure uh, he had his apartment paid for and... Um, Michael sitting over here, Michael and Al, and a couple of our guys who work, or work downtown became friends with him, and they're the ones who brought him here to church and uh, would run him, run him around some errands sometimes, and lots of people just began to look out for Ron and care for him because Ron cared for them so much, and people started to talk about how Ron did not just shine their shoes, he would shine their soul. Ron was that kind of a guy, and I loved when Ron was around here as well. When a guy like that passes away, who doesn't have hardly any money, doesn't have any family around, typically there's not going to be a funeral service or memorial service. Oftentimes guys like that are just kind of forgotten. But a couple of the area uh, pastors and ministers got together, and a couple area guys that knew him got together. And so I got to be part of the funeral service for Ron that we had at First Presbyterian downtown. And I'm telling you, the list of people there Uh, would make kind of your A-list Tulsa celebrity list. It was kind of incredible that in the world's view, the people who showed up were highly successful. I mean, people on the board of trustees for TU and CEOs and uh, people with all kinds of money. 
all ty- type of cl- all kinds of clout. The the people that in our world we would say, yeah, that's a successful guy, and yet they were all at this guy's funeral. When you would look at him, you'd think, well, he's not all that successful. He's just kind of barely getting by. But that's what makes Ron's story so cool, because Jesus says how you define success and how I define success are very different. Jesus says how I define greatness is this: Do you serve people? Are you a servant? Do you love the Lord and then just serve people? Do you care for people, regardless of how much money you have, regardless of whether you're the CEO um, of a huge company downtown or you're the CEO of your one-man shoe-shining business? Regardless of how much you have or don't have, regardless of your family or that you don't have family, regardless of uh, where you've lived or have not lived, Jesus says, how I define greatness is this. Do you serve people? Do you serve people like I serve people? That's how I define greatness. And in Jesus' book, I think we would find Ron's name under greatness. A person who just served and served and served. In national politics, it becomes, I beat you to become greater. But in Christ, it's, I serve you to be considered greater. In normal, lots of business in life, it's I step on you to get higher, but in Christ, it's I give you a hand and give you the credit in order to be considered greater. In life, I might cut corners to look good, but in Christ, I obey God fully, even if it costs me. Success equals serving. And now, please understand me. I'm not saying don't try hard. <laughs> I'm, not try- I'm not saying don't be disciplined, Uh, in your work. In fact, I think Christians ought to be the most disciplined in their work. I think Christians ought to work really hard on the practice field. I think Christians ought to work very hard to do the best that they can because God gave us gifts and resources and ability, and we ought to be good stewards of all of those things. But the difference is that we don't do it so that we can be great. We do it so that we can serve the Lord and we can serve other people. There's this Tricky little truth in life. If you chase greatness, you never get it. And there's lots of people, if you look around in our world, and they are so tired. It's like they're the hamster on the spinning wheel. I mean, they're running faster and faster and faster after greatness. And it's like, if I can just get this, if I can just get this, if I can just achieve this, and they never, ever find what they're looking for. I love the story of Mike Singletary. Um, you, you have to maybe be as old as me or older to know who he is, but he's one of the greatest linebackers in the history of the National Football League. Unbelievable linebacker that played with this intensity, and he had these eyes that you could kind of see from wherever he was. His eyes would kind of get real big when he was going to make a play, and they were always kind of darting around and taking in all the information around him. But Singletary started out in high school, and he was a kid, and he was told, you're too small, you're too slow, you're not going to make it on varsity high school football. And then he was playing college football, and he was told, you're not going to make it in college football. You're too small. You're too slow. You're not going to make it. You just don't have the tools in order to make it. And he became All-American. And he was like, okay, that was great. Good college career, but that's going to be it, man. You're not going to make it anywhere. And then he's with the Chicago Bears, and he's making all pro teams. But his ultimate goal that he kept working towards was to win the Super Bowl. 
And he was chasing it and chasing it. And he was driven. He was going to prove everybody wrong. And so that just drove him to work harder and harder and harder. And I'm old enough to remember 1985 when the Bears finally won the Super Bowl. Mike Singletary was their linebacker, their starting linebacker. And he was fantastic that game. And the moment they won the Super Bowl, you know what Singletary says? He said that was the saddest night of his life. You know why? Because everything he had been chasing his whole life, he finally got it. And he realized, this doesn't make me happy. What do I do? I, I, thought, that, I thought that when I won and when I was higher than anybody else could be, when I had achieved this greatness, I would be happy. And what he found was he wasn't. And it was desperation that set in very quickly for him. Singletary was wise enough to learn what many of you have perhaps learned that if you chase greatness you never find contentment and joy and happiness but when you give your life to Christ he fills you with this contentment and this joy that you can never get when you chase it on your own that's what he did some of you are probably pretty tired because you've been chasing it with your family to have the perfect family Maybe you've been chasing it uh, to have just a little more money, a little more clout, to be a little better in your sport, to make a little better grades, and you're chasing it. And it might be all great that you're pursuing some of those things, but the problem has been that you think that that's going to make you really happy in life. And what you found out is that's an empty promise, that you chase it and you never actually get there. Philippians chapter 2 gives us this great definition of what it means to give your life away in order to be declared by God as great. And if you'll let me, I'd just like to read some of this to you. I'm going to begin in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each to uh, the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who, talking about Christ Jesus here, being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used on his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue act uh, to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Philippians 2. Anytime you need just a word from Scripture, that's a great place to go. But Jesus is the ultimate example in that he had everything, including he, he's God. And yet he gave up his godly rights, the comfort he could have had, the perfection he could have known, in order to live with us and experience our imperfection around us. Not that he ever sinned, but that he felt the pain of all this earth has to offer. He felt the pain of broken relationships, the pain uh, of sickness, the pain of homelessness, the pain of poverty, the pain of hunger, and the pain of suffering, ultimately, 
on a cross. He gave up everything, making himself low. So low he would die on a cross. And how do you consider Jesus to be? I hope that you consider him to be the greatest. And Jesus looks back at you and say, if you want to be great, become like me. You serve people. And I know it's easy to say that, but I want you just to think practically for a moment. Do you do this? Do you honor other people above yourself? Do you look for ways at work to make other people look good, even though you may not look as good? Do you look for ways to serve your neighbor, even the neighbor who frustrates you? Do you look for ways to care for people? I was so proud of how many of you serve people on Monday night. And let's be face it, I mean, let's face it, when there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people here, there are going to be some people who are really annoying to serve. And Jesus never says, don't worry about serving people if they're annoying. Because then nobody would have ever served me. And I would not serve so many people. Because we get annoyed and frustrated with each other. And Jesus says, yeah, I know. I serve those people too. You serve them as well. In fact, those are the very people Jesus often went to first. The people that nobody else wanted to be with. And I just want to ask you practically, are you serving people? Because if you are then Jesus looks at you and says, yeah, great stuff, man. Great stuff. Way to be. That's who I made you to be. And this morning, uh, we're going to have at least one baptism this morning. And in baptism, uh, that's where in Romans 6 it says, it symbolizes going into the grave, dying, becoming nothing to the old self. And coming up out of the water symbolizes becoming brand new person, in Christ. And just as Jesus rose out of the grave, so we rise out of the water and begin this new life. And Acts chapter 2, Peter says, if you want to be saved, when all the people were saying, how, how can we be saved? How can we know the greatness of Christ when we help kill? Peter says, repent and be baptized and you'll be given the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if none of you have ever given your life to Christ, and you want to know the greatness of following our Lord, then we invite you to do that even this morning. During this next song, if you would like someone to pray with you and visit with you, there's some folks up front on the front rows and in the overflow section uh, next door, there's some folks there that would love to pray with you and talk with you as well. And we'd be glad to do that even this morning. Uh, if you want to mark on your card that you want to study scripture with somebody, we'd love to do that as well with you. Uh, if you would, would you stand and let me pray for us? God, we thank you for your goodness, for your love, and we thank you that you gave up everything. You became nothing so that we could have life in you. And thank you for being a servant, the servant. And God, we want to serve people like you have served, and we want that just to flow out of our lives. And I pray for anybody who needs to let their life die for you so they can have real life. Uh, I pray that they would get off uh, the wheel of just chasing greatness and just let you uh, give them hope and the joy that only you can give. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.